Richard Nixon. Well, I'm not a crook. Ronald Reagan. Tear down this wall. George W. Bush. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And Donald Trump. And a friend of mine for a long time, he uh, only likes politics. If you ask him about how are the Yankees doing, he has no interest. If you ask him almost anything, he likes politics and he's a professional at the highest level Roger Stone. All of these presidents relied on one man to secure their seat in the Oval Office. That man is Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Welcome back. I'm Roger Stone, and this is The Roger Stone Show at 77 WABC the crown jewel of AM radio. You know, I have been studying the attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan on March 30th, 1981. I found a number of interesting things. I addressed this earlier in my book, uh, The Bush Crime Family. But since that time, a great deal more research has come my way. Did you know that the official report into the investigation of the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan has never been released? Uh, did you know that Mark, uh, that uh, John Hinckley Jr., who was convicted of attempting to assassinate President Reagan, was always in front of Reagan and shooting from a crouching position, uh, and that all eight bullets discharged by Hinckley have been accounted for, and that none of them hit Ronald Reagan, or that Ronald Reagan was hit from both above and behind. Uh, In fact, at the exact same time that Reagan is hit, which you can see by the expression on his face, well, that is the episecond in which his press secretary, James Brady, was hit in the head by a bullet. No gunman can get off two bullets at the exact same time. Uh, The Secret Service argued about whether it should take uh, the injured Reagan to George Washington University Hospital or to Bethesda Medical Center, where the autopsy of John F. Kennedy uh, was conducted. And strangely enough, Reagan arrived at George Washington University Hospital 15 minutes after his press secretary, James Brady. But when he got there, three x-rays could locate no bullet within Reagan. There was a small slit as an entry point. What they ultimately did find is uh, called a flechette. It's a small flat disc about the size of a dime, which is fired from a weapon, uh, a flechette, that was uh, exposed in the church hearings before the U.S. Senate looking into the CIA uh, abuses. Judy Woodruff, who was a reporter for NBC at that time, actually reports on air seeing a second man, uh, allegedly a second gunman, on a balcony above the entrance of the Hilton Hotel. Uh, When you look at the released photographs uh, of Reagan that day, you cannot see them. But when you go to the broader original photographs, this man can be very clearly seen. Is my supposition that that is the second shooter. Anyway, this is the subject of my next book. I'm hard at work at it. And well, on this subject, we will keep you posted. Joining us now uh, is uh, Javier Mangeris, who is the publisher of The Floridian. The Floridian is 
without any question, I think the single most influential Florida political news outlet. He has an active uh, uh, feed on X, formerly known as Twitter. He also has a great website. Uh, and let me say at the outset that uh, Javier, Javier Majerus is a down-the-center reporter. In other words, he is neither for President Trump nor for uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. He calls them as he sees them. Uh, it is my great pleasure to uh, to welcome Javier to the Roger Stone Show. Roger, thanks for having me on. Uh, delighted to have you because uh, you're a man who has great depth in covering both Florida and uh, uh, national politics. Uh, you're very familiar with both contenders. Uh, you pointed out to me that you had what I guess I would call a historic one-on-one -on -one interview with uh, businessman Donald Trump uh, when he came to Florida to speak to the Palm Beach County Tea Party organization, what, what, what year was that? Was it like 2011, 2012? I believe, I, be, I believe that was 2011. It was uh, an event that you put together, I believe, uh, in Boca Raton. Alan West was also a guest. It was an amazing event. Uh, did, you, yeah, uh, well, did, did you know then and there that he was likely to run for president? Well, I know it was teased. I know it was talked about at the time that he may run for president. And uh, he didn't run for president, uh, but eventually he did in 2015 decided to run. But at the time, no, I just I just thought he may have and he would he would he would be a big, uh, strong contender if he did. But he didn't announce for several years after that. Yeah, I think he always thought that he had uh, a seller's remorse. He ultimately endorsed Mitt Romney. Uh, in 2012, he deeply regretted that. As he said to me, Romney has no instinct for the jugular. The guy goes around apologizing. Trump would say, never apologize. Never apologize for anything. Double down. It's really kind of his philosophy. Uh, he really did think uh, long and hard about running in 2012. And then on New Year's Day, 2013, uh, I called him at Mar-a-Lago, as is my custom to wish him a happy new year. And he said, you know, I should have run. I could have beaten Obama. And I said, well, I think so too. And he said, well, I'm not going to make this mistake again. Uh, I, I'm running next time. And I said, well, uh, you know, I've heard this before. He said, no, I want you to know I have already uh, applied to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office to trademark the campaign slogan, Make America Great Again. So I actually knew from that moment that he was going to run. And I always thought that he had the size, I don't mean the physical size, but the stature, uh, the independence, the stamina, the toughness to be not just a great presidential candidate, but to be a truly great president. Uh, Javier, you will remember that immediately after the 2022 elections, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis was actually leading Donald Trump in the polls in the home state that they both share, Florida, uh, was also leading in, in some national polls. Uh, he was definitely dubbed by Fox News as the future, as uh, the New York Post, owned by the same entities as Fox News, said on their cover. Uh, yet today, uh, he is mired in single digits nationally. Uh, he is struggling 
uh, in single digits in the all-important Iowa caucuses, where it's entirely possible, despite an extraordinary financial and physical effort on his part, an effort in which I would argue he has ignored Florida, uh, he may not even come in second. He could conceivably come in third. What what went wrong here? Well, I think, look, a lot of variables. I think the biggest variable is that, you know, he decided to run against a former sitting U.S. president. When was the last time that happened? You know, and considering that President Trump has, has a huge following uh, of supporters, diehard supporters, uh, as, uh, as they like to call the MAGA community, uh, they're unwavering and they stick by their guy and they're loyal. And, and, and again, it, considering what happened in 2022, many people believe that that election was rigged. Uh, there's a lot of things that point to the fact that it could have been rigged or, or was rigged. There's a lot of uh, questions that still are left unanswered because of the, as a result of the election. So there's a lot of people that are very upset and they believe that Donald Trump was would have this election stolen. And that's the biggest obstacle that Governor DeSantis has had to face is that base support and the fact that, look, uh, President Trump said he betrayed him. And a lot of people believe he does because a lot of people believe that this was Donald Trump's uh, rebound, re- uh, comeback and that he was going to win because he was wronged in 2022. And DeSantis... Uh, we all know this, and the sense I think has has already admitted that he would not be where he is now if not for the endorsement of Donald Trump. Now, I, as governor in the primary in 2018, because I was I lived it, I I covered the race, and Pres- and Governor DeSantis was at the time candidate DeSantis. He was losing by big number against uh, Adam Putnam, who was the agriculture secretary or agriculture commissioner at the time, and that endorsement saved the day for him. He was able to beat Putnam and, and eventually the general scale, barely make it by uh, Andrew Gillum, the Democrat, to win the, nom- to win the actual governor convention. So he owes a lot to, dis- to governor, I mean, President Trump. A lot of people believe that you know, that's a betrayal on his part by running against the president or the former president. That's the biggest yeah. obstacle. Yeah. Ironically, although in the past, uh, Governor DeSantis has acknowledged that Trump's endorsement propelled his candidacy forward to victory. More recently, he said on CNN that he would have won in 2018 without Trump. Uh, Javier, you covered you covered the race. Is there any way you uh, you could agree with that? I strongly disagree with that because at weeks before the primary election, uh, I had elected officials, U.S. senators, U.S. congressmen, calling me and asking me what was going on with this elect this uh, uh, campaign that it was run terribly. Uh, I won't use the choice words on air that they were telling me to describe the campaign. And, and I knew that DeSantis was, was uh, seeking the endorsement. Uh, and when he did, it was a complete turnaround. It was a complete turnaround. And DeSantis surged. And he, he, he got the base support of the, of the party. I mean, I, and I've, de- I've dealt with, I've spoken to people that supported Putnam that were within his in the circle. And they agree that they're, after the Trump endorsement, uh, DeSantis surged, and it was, they were pretty much uh, knocked out because of the endorsement. Uh, Governor DeSantis has a very tough decision to make uh, on Tuesday uh, because that is, that is the deadline, I believe, uh, by which he must uh, either leave his name on the Florida primary ballot or take it off. Now, the Florida primary is not until March, 
uh, but he has already filed to appear. And, of course, the Iowa caucuses uh, are not until January 15th, which I think will be either the death knell for his candidacy uh, or will, if he wins, which I think is highly unlikely based on the data, uh, propel his candidacy forward. But he runs a substantial risk uh, of getting beat by 40 points in his home state in March, perhaps in a race in which he's already withdrawn. That would be humiliating. What do you think he should do? First of all, uh, more importantly, Tuesday is my birthday. Secondly, yeah. Uh, uh, the uh, I don't think he drops. Uh, at first, I thought maybe he would drop off, considering how the polls are are rolling out. But I think that he has to. He can't quit now. He can't say he's not going to run in the Florida primary or pull out of it because that's pretty much saying he's conceding the entire election. And why even run in Iowa? I think he'll stay in it. I think that uh, he will. I think he'll gain some traction a little bit. I think Haley's his biggest obstacle uh, in the primary. And um, I think that after Iowa, if he loses by more than 15 to 20 points, going into a week later in New Hampshire, uh, if he loses by the same amount, I think he drops out then because he's put all his eggs in one basket, and that being the Iowa caucuses. And uh, I, I just don't see how he he would have to drop out then and then lose in Florida. His name will be on the ballot in Florida. And that'll sting him because people will point to the fact that, hey, regardless if you dropped out or not, you lost Florida by a massive number of, of votes or percentage points. I think it hurts him down the road. The only saving grace I think he has is after he drops out or if he drops out uh, by losing these caucuses in primaries is the fact that he has a supermajority in Florida and he will do everything in his, in his power to implement another, uh, continue his uh, agenda that he's been pushing the past couple of years. It's been popular with Floridians, uh, both independent and Republicans. Uh, he'll have to, to uh, finish hard or strong the, fa- the last two years of his election, of his, of his second term, and then going into 2026, decide on what he's going to do if he's going to run in 2028, which I'll tell you, there'll be a lot stronger candidates running against him uh, in 2028, and he'll ha- it'll be a tougher slog for him, and he will not have the bully pulpit to raise the money he did this time around for this, for his presidential cycle. Well, and that also presumes in 2028 that there is a, an opening. I mean, I, I know right. you are a close friend uh, and some would say a confidant of uh, our great senator, Marco Rubio, who I have really come to respect and like over time. I was not really I was I was against him when he ran against Charlie Crist. I had some problems with him later, uh, but I really have uh, changed my view quite a bit on him. Uh, he's not exactly my cup of tea, but I think he's a good man. Uh, there, is there any indication that he's not going to run again? Do we know that? Well, no. I, listen, I He was on my flight a couple uh, weeks ago, several weeks ago, and I brought it up. He just looked at me with a big smile and, and laughed and kind of used a couple of choice words. Like he, he wasn't thinking about running right now, but he I have spoken to him in the past, and he says the only – a race he would run in or see who to run for would be the presidency. Now, that doesn't tell me that he's definitely running in 2028, but I think him, uh, Senator Cruz, and other uh, elected officials in D.C. are keeping their powder dry to see what happens with President Trump in this election cycle. I think that considering that he has been arguably the loyalist uh, U.S. senator to President Trump during the Trump years, 
uh, speaks volumes. He helped write uh, President Trump's Western Hemisphere policy and helped him with other uh, initiatives, uh, including uh, something he worked with uh, with uh, Ivanka Trump. So he's very loyal, and Trump knows that. And so, hypothetically, if Trump were to win the 2024 uh, presidential presidential election, President uh, Donald Trump, I'm sorry, uh, Senator Rubio will be elected official. He's still there. He'll be there for another four years. He could uh, continue where he left off with Trump and become even have his loyalty even stronger than than it was before. And if look, and when President Trump is, is going out of office, what if Senator Rubio turns to him and says, "Look, I'm thinking about running." You know, whether he endorsed him or not, he would be in a strong position to, at the very least, garner the support of President Trump in the sense that he won't endorse against him. It, President it, uh, Rubio is in a good position there if all the cards fall into place. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, folks who don't live in Florida may not realize that Governor Ron DeSantis is term limited. That means that he, he's now been elected to two terms. Uh, that seat becomes up for election again in 2026, but he cannot run again. Uh, even if he were nursing ambitions to run for the U.S. Senate, let's say, in 2028, when the seat of Senator Marco Rubio is up for election, uh, he needs some fulcrum with which to raise money. People give money to Donald Trump because they love him, because they support him. People give money to Ron DeSantis because they have to. Uh, the size of his average contribution is extraordinarily high. That's because the great bulk of his campaign money has come from special interests uh, who are mindful of the fact that as governor, uh, he can punish them or he can help them. Uh, but I would argue that once he leaves the governor's race, he does not have the kind of dedicated fundraising base that, say, uh, a Donald Trump has. And therefore, I have said on this show and elsewhere uh, that I think uh, Casey DeSantis, uh, the, the first lady of Florida, will run for governor uh, at the end of Ron DeSantis's second term. George Wallace, 
was the governor of Alabama. He had national aspirations. Alabama had a two-year term at limitation. His wife, Lurleen Wallace, ran for governor, essentially on the popularity of her husband. Uh, she was elected. She was actually considered uh, a very effective uh, reform-oriented governor, surprisingly. So uh, how do you see uh, that folding out? Uh, uh, Roger, I couldn't agree more with you on that because, uh, you know, you're right. Governor Sanders has turned it out. He won't have the bully public to raise the money to run for president again. Uh, Casey DeSantis is, I know very well, nice woman, great mother, um, is right on all the issues because considering she's helping the governor himself with all these issues and he's that, that have been very effective in Florida and popular. So if she ran, I think she would be hands down the favorite. And if she won, uh, she would be continuing the 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 Santos third term. And Governor Santos will be in the background, I'm sure, living in the mansion again. He's not going to have to move out. And it'll very powerful couple. And it'll and that would help him in 2028 be able to raise money with the uh, with the donor class or the lobbyists in Tallahassee. Because you're right, once he's out. He does not have the bully pulpit. He can't raise money. He won't be able to raise the kind of money he did this time around. And one thing he has to contend with, and if he runs for president in 2028, is that whether it's Rubio or Chris or uh, Senator Cruz that run in that primary in Iowa, he is not going to garner the evangelical support that he has garnered this time around. It'll be split because Ted Cruz won it in 2016. And these guys are devout Christians. They can recite the, the, the Bible. They can recite Scripture. It'll be very tough for him. But I agree with you. Uh, Casey DeSantis would be a very strong contender. And I wouldn't put it past it if they, uh, uh, if they put her up to run in a few years. Yeah, a great piece in the National Pulse recently. Uh, the University of Florida, after receiving increased state funding, just happened to release a poll testing Casey DeSantis against a Republican primary field for governor in 2026. Uh, there it is. That is not to say that that particular field would not be uncrowded. You have a state agriculture uh, 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 secretary, uh, Wilton Simpson, uh, who seems inclined to run. You have, of course, Congressman Matt Gates, who seems inclined perhaps to run. You have Congressman Byron Donalds, a great admirer of his, uh, is a potential candidate. Uh, the businessman, entrepreneur, farmer, Alfie Oaks, uh, is, I, I know, uh, considering a candidacy. So uh, I, it wouldn't be wide open. Uh, it would be wide open, uh, in my view. Uh, there's no doubting that Casey DeSantis would be, a, uh, would be uh, a formidable candidate. But I would argue, uh, and you, you live here as I do, by the way, we're talking to Javier Mangeris, who is the publisher of The Floridian. Tell folks uh, where they can go online to see your great work. They, they can go to floridianpress.com. That's floridianpress.com. Uh, they can follow us on X at uh, floridianpress.com. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I think, I think you're, uh, you're right about the field. Um, it'll be a, a strong field. A big a wide I would say no less than six or seven people. It'll dwindle. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, Casey DeSantis is such a strong name, very likable. Uh, I, so I, I would tell you this, is I think she gives a better speech than Ron DeSantis. <laughs> I, I've seen her at many events, and I've seen her on TV, and she's very persuasive. Uh, she delivers a good message. 
uh, whether it's scripted or not, I think she, she has a better delivery than Ron DeSantis and likability than Ron. No offense to Ron, but I just it, it is what it is. So um, that, that would be something to factor in uh, if this comes about. Uh, I have some theory, though, that the governor's absenteeism when it comes to Florida right now it comes with a political cost. Uh, insurance rates particularly are have skyrocketed. A number of home uh, and other insurers are leaving the Florida market. Insurance premiums are up by 40 percent. Uh, if your home is destroyed uh, in the hurricane, let's say, uh, and you don't want to accept the pennies on the dollar, that your home insurance company is offering you, uh, you have no ability to sue them because of a law signed into place by right. Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, utility rates uh, are off the charts. The governor took nine and a half million dollars uh, from Florida Power and Light and its subsidiaries and campaign contributions to his various endeavors. And the people here got a uh, a 22 to 25 percent increase in your electricity bills, which in a state with this many uh, older citizens on fixed income, uh, that that's really devastating. Uh, it, you know, it's nice to say that the governor signed an executive order which prohibits them from pushing the race and gender nonsense uh, on uh, elementary school children. But I can tell you firsthand, it is not being enforced. Uh, they are pushing uh, a, 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 a such a curriculum right here in Broward County today. So uh, the governor talks a good game. I haven't seen any recent polling on his uh, job performance uh, 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 numbers. Uh, but my guess is that he is doing some permanent damage uh, to his reputation and his political standing in the state. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, he, like I said, he put all his eggs in one basket to run for president. Everything, his whole political agenda, the past two uh, legislative sessions has been all about him. Oh, he has the right to do that. He's he's got a bully pulpit. He is the governor of the of the state of Florida. Uh, but again, at what cost? Because if he doesn't win, then a lot of those none of those measures that he has backed and issues that he has pushed. Are, are going to fall back. And you're, you're, you're already starting to see flat that he's been receiving, especially as you mentioned on the insurance front. Uh, they've had special sessions. Uh, nothing has come of it. Like as you mentioned, that law that goes in place that you can't sue uh, insurance companies. Uh, that's a problem. And, and not so much Republicans, independents, everyone is complaining about it. Everyone from across the political uh, landscape, from Republicans to Democrats, they're complaining about this, all, home, all homeowners. And so that's a big issue that has not been addressed. It's been it's been brought up, and hence the, the special election they had last year. But nothing. I'm sorry, special session they had to address it, but it hasn't been addressed. It's a problem. As far as uh, the schools, I agree. I live in Broward County as well, and I've written extensively on how the Broward County uh, school district is continuing to push uh, wokeness, if you would. If you look, I've, several stories that we've written point to the actual website where they're promoting Malcolm Malcolm X as a great guy that police uh, are the bad guys and promoting wokeness and it's right on the website still to this day <laughs> so a lot of those issues in, in j just the other day in, in Lee County uh, there was a teacher promoting wokeness BLM uh, transgender 
in with a poster in her actual classroom. You know, what happened there? So there's a lot of school districts and teachers that are defying the governor, and that could be perceived as weakness on his part. Um, but, you know, because he's been in uh, campaigning, he hasn't been uh, really on top of that, as it, it, the perception is. And so, like before, when anything happened, when he wasn't campaigning, he would, something happen, would happen like this at the state level, within hours, he would be addressing it. Now, it's falling by the wayside because, you know, it's, hey, you can say that he's been campaigning, he's been preoccupied. Yeah, it is, uh, uh, it is uh, extraordinarily interesting. We're going to see. I, I think you're right. He can't really take his name off the ballot on Tuesday for the Florida primary because it would be read as an admission in Iowa that he is conceding. And frankly, expectations are everything. He went out yesterday, read this in the New York Post, uh, absolutely predicting that he will win the Iowa caucuses. Let's be very clear what that means. Win is defined as coming in first ahead of Donald Trump. Winning is not being in a distant second, but beating Nikki Haley. That is not a victory. All right, I'm afraid we're out of time. I want to thank uh, Javier Mangeris uh, from the Floridian for joining us here on the Roger Stone Show. Uh, and, uh, well, buckle your seatbelts. Laura Loomer, the most banned woman in America, is up next on the Roger Stone Show.